What's up, Coach? What's up, Grub? Thanks for coming out. Yeah, no, I, this is exciting. I'm really excited to be able to do this. It's it's not that often that you get to do something this fun with somebody that you go back a long way with. So yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, we went to high school together. We didn't really mm-hmm. know each other in high right? school, like knew of each other. You were a class mm-hmm. ahead at Dowling. You're 2000, Thank you for right? getting in that I'm older. Appreciate that. Okay. That was not the intent, <laughs> but that was how it went down. Was yes. That? Yes, it did. All right, quick no. fact-finding mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, I was thinking about this on my way in. I was like, well, you know, thinking about getting together, and I was like, where am I at? One, two, or three. And this morning, I was mm. at a one. Oh. I thought it was going to come in as yeah. a one. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like, after all this great conversation yeah. and talking about creating a space and energy, mm-hmm. I'm coming into this thing as a one. Mm. Where are you today? A three. Nice. I feel good today. Yeah. No, good. I feel really good today. We got out of the house on time and we had some good workouts and uh, yeah, no, I feel good. I had one of those midday happening, like I had something happen. It was like bad news, bad news, bad news, mm. good news. Mm-hmm. It was like, boom, I'm a three now. Mm. Like, And I was just like, was this a trick? And it was like an hour later. I'm like, no, I'm a total three now. I felt good. good. I was nervous. Uh, unpack for everybody what a one, two, three is. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, I learned this, um, system through a friend of mine, um, that basically the premise behind it is that every day you should check in and this is what a coach has done with their teams, right? So you should check in with your players and say, okay, what percent are you today? So in, in theory, let's say you say you're a 70%, um, So you should bring 100% of that 70%, right? Okay, so that's easy. Just kind of check in. Well, I coach at Drake, and so we're at like 62.5% instead of, you know, just making a decision. And not only that, but I think sometimes decision-making is one of the toughest things that we do. And so we've kind of transformed that to three, you feel good, one, you don't, and two, you're somewhere in the middle. So most of the time, if you're a two, you're kind of closer to a one, Um, but the premise behind it is just to bring a hundred percent of what you got. And so some days you're not going to feel great, but you still have to show up and you still have to bring what you have. And some days you feel great and you can carry other people. So that's kind of the three, two, one check is what we call it. Nice. I like that. We do that sort of a, we call it a segue. When we get into our meeting, Mm -hmm. we do like a personal best work best. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of jump from sort of working in the business to working on the business when mm-hmm. we jump into our 90 minute meeting, it works mm-hmm. out pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where's your head at, right? Kind of do that little check in. What's we do a quarterly meeting and mm-hmm. we do like what's working, what's not working. Mm-hmm. And then it just jumps right in. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. So for you, you're obviously working with millennials. Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, sometimes that can be sort of this, it, like it's easy to pick on millennials. It's easy to pick on the generation. Like it's mm-hmm. a tradition to pick on the generation before you. Mm-hmm. But what is what is ultimately your opinion or your take on what is it different about the way in which we sort of coach and motivate millennials? Well, honestly, and I don't always necessarily look at it as a whole generation and more, you know, every team is different. But when you do, obviously, the last few teams that we've coached and are coaching are in millennial generation. But I find I find millennials fascinating because they want to know the why. And when they really understand the why, they're able to ask questions. They're, be, they're able to challenge some of the things that you say, um, but it provides great conversation. Now, they're also willing, and I know the whole world of social media and text messaging, and nobody picks up the phone anymore, and nobody has a conversation, and I get all that, but there is a sense of, 
um, connection that you can make with somebody that you don't know through social media channels, that we didn't have the ability to do that. And so what I find is that our classes that we've recruited really connect at a different level before they get there because they know each other now. They've kind of been able to be in their circle and see kind of things that they're interested in. And so they have a different respect and understanding of each other that we didn't get to have. And so I do think that there is some power in that too. And I find it fascinating. I want to, I want to ask more. I read an article the other day on ESPN on Dabo Sweeney, uh, head Mm -hmm. coach at Clemson. Mm -hmm. And actually ESPN talked about Matt Campbell going and spending time at the university was interesting. What he wanted to know is, is culture, Mm -hmm. what makes success sustainable. Mm -hmm. And the Louisville coach made a comment. He made a quote, um, and I want to make sure I get it right. So we try to lead with love, not fear. Some programs are going to make you do things. I want these kids to want to do things. Mm-hmm. So how do you set up your program and your culture to get your players to want to be a part and ask why and engage why? Mm-hmm. How do you go about that? Well, I agree that, um, you know, love is the strongest human emotion that we have. And so we really do want to love what we're doing. We want to love how we're doing it and we want to love who we're doing it with. And so we're really able to talk about that in terms of our culture. Now, when we talk about our culture and we talk about loving the things that you do, right? So you love the game of basketball. That might look different from one team to the next. Okay, so that's something that we're never going to compromise that fundamental belief that we love the game of basketball, right? But how we define it can be a little bit different from year to year. So when we're having a group conversation in terms of our coaching staff, our players, um, we're involved in that whole process. Everybody's voice matters and quite honestly is essential to what we're doing because I, I don't ever like the term buy-in and I know that's something that's, that's kind of um, – quote unquote controversial, right? But we're all in. You're either part of the culture or you're not. And so to me, you can't have one foot in. You're either all in or you're not. And so for our players, they know that and they feel that. So they do rely on their intuition in it and they do get into that space of, okay, this is how we're going to define it this year. The fundamental part is that they love each other, right? And they love what they're doing and they love how they're doing it. Um, But the practicality part is, they're part of the process. Now, they're also part of the process in terms of how they give feedback. You know, we do we do various activities in terms of, you know, giving feedback every day in practice. They have to, you know, praise and polish, right? So there, it can't always be everything's fine. You've got to have some substance to it. But you can have hard conversations and still remain positive. I think sometimes people think that positivity just means everything's happy, And it doesn't, it still means it's productive and it's coming from a place of love. It's like parenting. Sometimes we have to challenge our children. Sometimes we have to challenge our spouse or our significant other, our best friends, our team. We have to do that. But if we're doing it out of a place of love and compassion, that's, that's really when the magic starts to happen. That's really how you start to see progress and you sustain some of it. So you look at Dabo Sweeney and what they've done, and you can tell that that's exactly what they've done. They based it out of love. You know, they, they don't have, I always call it sticker charts. I hate stickers. You know, having kids, you know that you get stickers everywhere and it ruins your entire house. It ruins your car, it ruins everything. So if I have to have a sticker chart, whether or not they're getting to the gym, I'd rather just not know. Right. And so for them, they need to get in the gym because they want to get in the gym. They love this game. Someday they'll replace basketball for something else. But right now they love the game. And so they're getting in the gym because they want to be in the gym and they're getting in it in there with the people that they want to be with. 
What are your, you t- we talked earlier about your culture, your kind of core values. What are those core values? I think you said it was love basketball, love. Mm-hmm. What, what, are, what is that? So we love basketball. We love to compete. And then you love Drake. And so it's really the, the love what you do, love how you do it, love who you do it with. And so for the love basketball piece, like you said, you want to replace that someday for something else, but you want to have passion for what you do. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to get to come and play college basketball I mean how amazing is that to be able to play division one college basketball if you if you can't even just get excited saying that then you should not be part of the program right because it's going to be hard there's challenge there's discipline it's sports that's that's how that's life right but you got to love what you do and you got to have a passion doing it and then the compete piece you know we don't talk about winning we expect winning right you expect that that's a byproduct of how you're doing things um but competing, I love the true form of competition is really to strive with. It's not to strive against. So it's how you are going to bring your best. So going back to the three, two, one check, if you're bringing 100% of what you got, not only are you going to get better, the people to your right and your left are going to get better. And then if you don't enjoy who you're doing with or where you're at doing it, so if you don't love Drake, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Because otherwise, go do something else. You know, and I think those are such transferable skill sets that they can have when they get to the next part of their life. Uh, if you can walk into work every day and love what you're doing and love who you're doing it with and love how it's doing, how you're doing it, your success can't help but find you. Is that how the recruiting process starts? I mean, is that really from a, I know it's probably assistant coaches that are making the connections, you know, with the girls as they're coming into the program. But when you go, you're sitting in the living room couch talking with mom and dad I mean, are we talking core values? Are we talking that? It's yeah. really not X's and O's, is it? Well, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, we do things so differently in terms of the recruiting process. And for and for, for young girls and, and young women, um, we start really early. So, you know, we can't even go into their home until their senior year in high school. Mm. And so for us, you know, that those conversations start when they're freshmen with their sophomores. And the first visit we always have is to get to know each other, to be able to talk about culture and to be able to feel if it's a fit. You know, your intuition, I rely on my intuition a ton. And, um, you know, my expectation is that our players do too. And you learn that and you learn to trust your gut and you learn to trust, you know, who you are and the information that you're receiving. And so, to me, I have to be able to sit with somebody. We can identify talent all you want. There's a lot of talent out there. And then you've got to be able to not only do, you know, you do your checks and balances of talking to high school coaches, to their club coaches. You talk to different people that might play against them. You know, you do a lot of those kinds of checks. But then I, I got to sit with somebody and I have to be able to feel that space. And sometimes, sometimes finances don't allow for that to happen. And so you've got to get some of that on a phone call. But most of the time, um, I'm going to sit with somebody. We're not a, we don't mass offer. It's, it's mostly about feel and gut, especially that first time. And so sometimes we're behind in the recruiting process because that's our first initial is that we want to be able to spend that time. And we want to be able to get those, those young women in front of our team so that our team can feel that out too, to be able to feel if it's a fit. And so we don't necessarily just show off everything that we have. And, and you, you know, style of play wise, we're probably not going to bring them if they don't fit our style of play. They might not know a ton of what our style of play is really understanding. Um, but we know that. When, when you're sitting with mom and dad, mm-hmm. you're talking culture. I got to think that mom and dad are wanting to know that their kid's going to be in good hands and f- find success. Mm-hmm. Right. 
How do you define for the program and when you're sitting with your recruits and their families, how are you defining success up front? Well, being part of that culture. I mean, I think that's, I think that's part of the success. I mean, honestly, if you, if your child can come and love what they do, that's pretty awesome. If they, because a lot of times we think, okay, you know, you look at Drake, I want to come to Drake because the academics are so great and I want to be prepared for life. Right. And so that's part of it. But if that part is struggling, then your academic parts or your athletic parts going to struggle. If your athletic parts going to struggle, your social parts going to struggle. So we have to really balance. We really try to balance all three of those areas because you don't get to just pick and choose. You don't get to just come and play basketball either. You know, you right. have to be able to do the whole entire thing. And so I think that's a big part of uh, really understanding the whole picture. We talked about parents and the way parents define success. Mm-hmm. I got to think that would be a huge challenge. I mean, the, most of the girls and, and guys, right? Like they're coming out of high school. They're the best player on their team. Mm-hmm. If they're coming to play Division One sports, especially in basketball where there's less seats, you know, mm-hmm. football, baseball, a softball, other sports. I mean, there's a lot of positions to fill those rosters. Basketball, there's not very many seats. Mm-hmm. So they're usually the best kids, and they've been the best kids their whole lives. Now they kind of get to a different level. Mm-hmm. And that success has been defined by the fact that they have excelled their entire career. How did they sort of adapt to that mm-hmm. new norm? Or how do you coach them yeah. through... Yeah. You know, I love how you talk about they got to learn to sort of adapt and change well. Mm-hmm. How, how do you coach them along through mm-hmm. that? Well, I think you're referring to when we talk about one of my favorite quotes is you you can never win a championship on plan A, right? So you have to constantly be flexible and adjust and understand. Um, you know, our role, we don't necessarily define this is what your role is. Everyone's role is the same. Everybody has to show up every day. Everybody has to be able to shoot. Everybody, everyone has the green light. Everyone was always shocked when I say that. You know, we don't have people that say, okay, you only get to shoot 75% of the time here and 25% of the time here or whatever, or when the shot clock hits a certain time. Nope. If we can't hit open shots, then there's something going on. And that's our job as coaches to be able to help figure it out during the process. It's not, what have you done for me lately? You know, we're definitely not transactional. We don't, we don't sub when, you know, you make a mistake. Now, if you make three mistakes in a row because you're not mentally in it or you're not focused, that's a whole different ball game. But we've never subbed. We never do if it's a one mistake thing. So you want people to play out of love and not fear. That's part of it, right? And so... Um, so you take the win and loss out of it and really try to focus more on the process. So the make or miss, same thing, focus more on the process. So some of the things when we're talking about with parents, you know, we don't have a lot of players that play really high minutes. We play a lot of people and we do that so that you can sustain the success and not only sustain success, but continue to go farther up. You know, I mean, it's harder to, you know, it's, it's easier to get to the top of the mountain than it is to stay there. So how do you stay there? Because if you graduate a class that played averages 40 minutes a game and scores all your points, then you start back over again. And that is a great, people do that all the time. And I'm not knocking that. That's just not what we do. And so we play consistently for, you know, now we have data, right? Now we have, okay, we're going into our eighth year. We've done this over and over and over. We have, you know, we have quote unquote success defined for us in terms of a win-loss column. We have, you know, championships. We have all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't necessarily ever talk about that. 
Um, but it does, that stuff does validate some of the things that we are doing, but we do base it on really understanding your own value and making sure that you really understand the value of the people around you. That's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and, and really just get into this topic is understanding how different people define success. And the thing that I came to understand over time was the, the folks that were having the most success had a very different mm-hmm. sort of outlook. And often businesses, when you, know, you get into it, it's about driving profit, driving profitability rather than finding purpose. I read a, uh, or I heard a stat that like 70% of people that sell their business 12 months later regret it. It's mm-hmm. somewhere in that trend. It's like a high mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. But I think the point is, or I wonder, is if business owners sometimes will think, okay, once I sell my business, that's sort of where the purpose is then all of a sudden going to come or their purpose was sort of in the business and it was really profit that was driving it. Mm-hmm. And that was a challenge for me, like in our family business, sort of transitioning or making this bet, this leap mm-hmm. that felt huge, but in the end really wasn't of sort of being a purpose driven business mm-hmm. and letting purpose drive the profitability. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's the same thing when you hear about programs like yours or Dabo Sweeney or Tom Wilson. And like I love hearing Kirk Ferentz and Matt mm-hmm. Campbell and these guys talk. It's about purpose and it's about giving young people, uh, I think you call it creating a space. Mm -hmm. How do you as a coach try to like create that space so that they can define for themselves? I feel like, it's like back in the day, I was like, why do I do this? Because I told you so. Right. And we're going to like, we're going to run, we're going to do these hills, we're going to run. What is like the worst thing you can make the kids do right now running wise? What's that called? You know what? We don't, I don't, we don't do it. Really? I know. So you get I a know. green light to shoot whenever. I know. You I know. don't have the TVs. I know. I laugh about this. In, in our first year, <laughs> I swear to you, if I would have said, okay, if we don't, you know, if we don't win this game or execute or play defense and, you know, in these last couple minutes and we will go and we will run a mile at 5 a.m., I guarantee you we would have played harder. I guarantee it. However... We also had to just want to win and understand and experience that to really understand what that is. You, like to me, it's so much more fun to win than it is to play to not to lose, right? right? And so that there's a fine line in that and trying to figure that out. But to me, it's about it is about the journey. It's about the process. Now, I don't. I I hate losing. Like I do. I like. I mean, I still haven't watched our last game from the last season, right? I mean, I I I have that weird part of me, right, that also drives you that competitiveness in you and whatever. Um, but at the same time, I know that you go through those hard moments to be able to challenge your own creative thoughts and your own way of saying, okay, how do you, how do you continue to get better and how do you figure things out? And how as a leader do we put people in positions to, to really find success, right? Whether it's on the playing field or off the playing field, it doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't even matter. It's such a challenge and it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you can really figure out the pieces, but it's equally as beautiful when you can't and you got to shift and adjust and change things. And so it is about, I, and that, trust me, me too. I have to remind myself of this all the time. So I'm saying it like it's super easy and it isn't, it's a huge challenge. And that's my point of saying like, I'm really competitive and no one, trust me, nobody wants to be around me when we don't win or we don't play well or any of that kind of stuff. But that's part of what we do. If you just came in and everything was great all the time, 
you wouldn't have the clarity of what you need to do different and to problem solve and to figure it out. And like, that's my favorite part. Now I would love to go undefeated. I would love that. I would love to win a national championship. I would love to do all of those things. Um, and I also really enjoy where life takes you. And I love what I do. And I love stepping on the floor and I love being with our team. And I love, you know, conflict is fine because that means you're going somewhere, right? If we can resolve conflict, that means you're going somewhere that maybe you couldn't have gone before if you didn't have that conflict. Because as society, we always avoid conflict, right? And we think it's this terrible thing, but really it's a beautiful thing in terms of taking a step forward if we can really figure it out. I know our team, if we wouldn't have ended the way that we did, I love how motivated we are right now. I love how driven we are. We're so motivated in equal motivation of I've individually got to get better and our team has to get better and, and they're both of equal value. And when that happens, it's, it's pretty cool. And it's really fun to watch our team process through that. One of my favorite, I think one of the most underestimated stories in sports in recent memory for me was Virginia winning the national championship to be the first team to lose to a 16 seed Mm -hmm. and then to come back and win it. That is literally like, I mean, I remember after the game, like that yeah, who night. Who wasn't thinking, rooting for Virginia? I mean, honest to God. It was like, so good. Who wasn't? And even if they wouldn't have won the national championship, you wouldn't even remember who they were playing. You would have just remembered that they got there. Right. I mean, honestly. It, it, yeah, to be on that low. But I like how you say, you know, people are like society says to be afraid of failure, to be afraid of pain. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like that's sort of the byproduct of how we've sort of gotten here in a generalization of millennials Mm -hmm. is parents not allowing kids to fail or really, I guess I would say fail well Mm -hmm. to like deal well with adversity. And there's sometimes it's overcompensation of wanting to sort of protect our children from vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But I've told you one of my favorite quotes is the new currency and leadership is vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, the leaders that are able to be vulnerable enough to empower other people mm-hmm. and, and leading with love is vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Like it's very mm-hmm. vulnerable. Fear is easy because you're in control or at least you think you're in control and I'm going to tell you to do it and you did it, you know, I'm somehow respected because you did what I told you to do because I told you something very vulnerable about leading with love. Like that's what I learned from Dabo mm-hmm. and, and, and listening to that story. But uh, what advice I guess would you have like parents, right? You have three kids, you're, you're coming into this mm-hmm. realm and it just feels like sometimes parents are afraid to be vulnerable enough to let their kids fail well. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I don't know. But I know what you're saying. I mean, um, I should be the last person giving parenting advice. <laughs> but I, you know, as you were as you were talking, here's what was kind of also like going through my head too, is, you know, we, we constantly think about leadership when you're talking about fear is a motivator, right? And I'm in control and I'm in charge and da-da-da. And it's, it's easily, it's also for your team, it's also really, um, you come together at a commonality in terms of like, if everyone hates the boss, you can still win, right? Because it's easy, misery loves company, and it's an easy thing to do. What happens when you really do love your boss, right? Then your own vulnerability comes out too, and you don't you don't point the finger at other people, and so therefore you start looking at yourself. So the more that, from my standpoint, the more that I can lead in that space, trust me, they don't always really like me, 
but they do love me, right? And they do know that no matter what, I'm there and I'm going to challenge them and I'm going to help them and, you know, and I've got their back. And some days I'm going to say really nice things to them and some days I'm going to really challenge them, right? And so that's been a transition, I think, for our team too, is to be able to take away the we're going to all bond because we don't like our coach and we are going to show them and we're going to, you know, show her because she told us she can't do it or da, 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 da. And so then we're going to rise up that way. And instead now they're looking at their own light and trying to shine their own light to be able to help the others around them too. That's powerful to me. That's when you talk about the buy-in or being all in, in your culture and that kind of thing. Um, because then you really have to look in the mirror And when you can look in the mirror, that's when real growth happens. It's really easy to blame other people. It's really easy. And one of the hardest things for us to take is is guilt, right? And so sometimes that's also our own motivator of our own vulnerability of saying, okay, what do I need to do now? And if everybody can think about what they need to do in bringing just their best, um, to me, it's kind of amazing what can happen. So I think in terms of with that, is also, okay, let's say I miss a shot in a game and it's a game winner. I've missed plenty of game winning shots, right? You, you remember those a lot more than the ones that you made. You remember the the big plays that you missed more than the ones that you made. And there is nothing you can say. There is nothing you can do to take away that pain other than being able to live through it. Okay. So it's exactly what you're talking about as a coach. Sometimes we want to fix it. I'm a fixer too. I try to overfix things sometimes. And the and the the longer I've been in, the more I've seen, hey, I'm here for you, but I cannot fix this. You have got to work through this. And you have to be able to get yourself back up, wipe yourself back off, roll your sleeves on, put your boots on, and get back to work. Because when we get back to work and we work for things and we work really hard, um, then we know and really believe, but that's not easy. And that's vulnerable. And so to me, that's the same thing as parenting. There's certain things that we can lead. There's certain things that we can say. But if our our kids or our players aren't in a position yet to hear that or or really understand it, um, experience is the only thing that can happen. And you can only have your own experiences. Even though you should, quote unquote, be able to learn from other people's experiences, it doesn't nearly hit as home and you can't have as much growth. Um, and, and you could... You know, you can counter what I just said too, but if we really can let our let our kids experience it and be there and not, you know, lead them, but be beside them at some point, right? Um, that's better. I mean, my, my oldest is seven, you know, and I'm watching him play a little flag football game this weekend and all of a sudden, you know, they're fifth graders. I'm like, no, they weren't. They were all in second grade. And, you know, and, and, but he goes right to, well, no, I'm just going to blame the other team or I'm going to blame this or I'm going to do this instead of, you know, his own insecurity was, wow, I was just wasn't good enough. And it was amazing to be able to see in my seven-year-old and, you know, I see that every day in my 18 to 23-year-olds, but when it's your own kid and you can't, and it's, and you can see, and you want to go right into it to explain, well, no, they're just really good. (laughs) And you aren't as good, and that's okay. But that's also, are you going to work harder? Are you going to do all these things? And so the parenting piece, I, I never blame parents. In fact, I'm so different with parents. I, I The parents are part of our process, um, and so it's a little bit different. And I think it's probably because I am one, and I'm also one that, you know, you think you can control your kids until you have them. I was a way better parent before I had kids. 
you know, right. just like I was a way right. better head coach before I became one. Yeah. Cause you have all the answers. Right. I mean, you and I talked about that. Like yeah. you have all the answers until you move over that seat. And then all of a sudden you're like, crap, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Once you're in the seat, it is different than watching the seat. This is a silly sort of analogy, but as you're talking, I'm thinking, I remember very vividly, this is sort of silly, but Simon Cowell, mm-hmm. right? When Simon Cowell first came on, I actually like two months ago, for whatever reason, I YouTube this and uh, Randy Jackson, the oh, dog, yeah. Yeah. right? And Paula, and then it was Simon. And if you go back and watch those first two seasons, Randy's like, you can't talk to these people like that. And he's like, but they're terrible. He's like, but yeah, but you can't tell them that. He's like, but they're terrible. They need to do something different. This Whoever's telling them they're good and they should do this, they should move on. And now it's like a norm. Yeah. But like season three, Randy's like, dog, this is not good enough for me. You know? <laughs> like the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing changed. Yeah. Um, but what's challenging, I think sometimes, especially in a work environment, is healthy conflict. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To be able to say to a colleague or to your boss, or even even for a boss to talk to an employee, right? Like a manager and an employee, to be able to have a dialogue or a redirect or, hey, this is bothering me. That was something we had in my leadership team. We thought we were good at conflict, but we were actually avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And so we found that our we were only as good as our best kept secrets. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would be challenging, especially at a sports level, at a college level, to get your players or teams to have healthy conflict. Because mm-hmm. if you get the green light, like if it's sort of an open green light policy, mm-hmm. that's going to get self-policed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's getting debated out on the court. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine you guys are kind of watching this unfold, like, hey, we're going to let them sort through that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how how do how are your players and even in the business world i think it's about having healthy dialogue healthy conflict i feel like that'd be one of the more challenging things about your job mm-hmm. is having 19 20 year old kids young adults having healthy conflict mm-hmm. oh yeah no i mean I, I think if any of us actually had the answer to that, <laughs> I think we would uh, make a lot of money, I guess, or whatever we would want. Um, honestly, I think, you know, y- like like you went, like you've said, that you have to be vulnerable and you have to be able to hear it from our position too, right? So from my position, I mean, I remember it was a number of years ago, but one of my um, one of my colleagues, one of our coaches, said to me. You know, when there's a lot of times that we have to walk on eggshells around you. And that was probably the best thing anyone could have ever said. Immediately, you get defensive and you want to go right back and you want to say, yeah, but you, you know what I mean? And you do that. But it was the best thing that I could have ever heard. Because one, it transformed me to go to a whole different space that I'd ever been in. And to also understand the space that you come in is essential. If I do not come into a great and open space, ready for conflict, ready for challenge, but also positive, productive, right? Forward thinking. If I don't come into that space every single day, every single day, then our program is not going places. And you have to consciously make that a choice. So even if I am a one, 
I got to be the best one I can possibly be. So if I'm asking my team to do that, I have to do that too. And I have to provide space to be able to hear that. And our staff has to be in a space to be able to provide that because that's also part of it. You know, we don't need people on our organization that are going to think and act the same way that I do. I'm already here. We don't need that. We don't need more than one of me. Trust, trust me. You know, we need people with different ideas. We need people, once we make a decision behind closed doors, absolutely, we go out and we're uniform. Even if not everybody agrees with every piece, right? We've got to be able to make decisions and go forward. Okay, it's the same thing. You know, in a game, I get about 10 seconds at, at the most, right? To be able to make that decision and to be able to move forward. Now, in, in some office settings, you know, you might get an hour that you got to debate your whatever it is, and then you've got to be able to go. It's the same thing on our team. We've got to be able to make the decision. If you want to be part of this system and how we've defined this system, you're either all in or you're out. And that's something that is so important because it goes back to your core values and it goes back to this is who we are. We are not going to change the fundamental part of who we are. We might change the definition of how we do some things, but our women know that this is how we are, and healthy conflict is part of it. So when we have, we will put ourselves in positions that we might have to say something that's hard, true, and positive. That's not easy to do to the person to your right. So you don't get all day to think about it. Sometimes we'll say, okay, you know, you can have all day. But I'll sit there, and if it's not really that hard to say, or we all could have said that, then we'll keep pushing buttons, right? Because that's how you grow. That's how you grow. And you don't have to go, you don't have to grow 25%. You have to grow 1% every day. 1%. That's it. That's it. You just have to be a little bit better, and that's it. That's a part of people people underestimate. Yeah. It's like... uh, it be it weight loss or making money, like whatever it is in their mind, I feel like mm-hmm. people create like, well, I got to be from here to here. Mm-hmm. And there's huge leaps, but it is 1% at a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those gains are 1% at a time. But being a leader, you have to be, I think, the most vulnerable of vulnerable. So when you do get that feedback of like, hey, Jenny, when we come in, I mean, hey, it's even hard for them to say mm-hmm. it's hard to talk to you yeah like that would be so hard for them to even say mm-hmm. and then so hard to receive mm-hmm. but you use the keyword transformation did you see I mean I would imagine like that vulnerability on your part to say okay like I'm going to create a new space I'm going to come mm-hmm. in here I always think of like you know it's an open door policy right wouldn't you tell me right you know, the door is it's like well you were going right. to yell at me <laughs> Right. You know, like. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how how was the transformation in terms of sort of open and honest, mm-hmm. probably even with your staff? I mean, I feel like when when a leader makes that transition, everything changes. Was mm-hmm. that your experience? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it really, um, I think it has to. And I use that example plenty with our team, you know, now, I mean, it's been a number of years that I've been more conscious about that or where our team doesn't see me like that, you know, before our team's like, yeah, no, I could have told you that too, you know? And, um, and I think that was something that, that some really, you know, I think it's really important. Now I, what I don't do a great job of is being able to do that at home too, you know? And that's something that as a leader, you know, we turn it off when we go home. 
and we've got to do a better job in front of our in front of our kids, in front of our significant others. And I mean, I don't know if that's how you are. That's for sure how I am, and that's something that that I'm consciously working on right now. Of you know, I I, I got into this this whole world of energy and understanding the space that I'm in, and really trying to take a second and focus on your breathing and. Um, just to be really steady, because even if you watched, you know, you could go back the Simon Cowell thing. I'm thinking like, I don't even know why I'm saying this out loud because you'll probably YouTube it. But even looking at the way that I used to manage a game in my first couple years, right? And I'm, you know, in such a different space than I am now, right? Because now when I can stand on the sideline and just look at the game and watch the game, I can manage it in a completely different way. And our players are so much more comfortable and confident in who they are, not in who I am, right? If I make the game about me because I'm yelling at the official or I'm doing this or I'm doing that, and it's not that I don't ever yell at officials and I do, I'm just more intentional about what I'm saying to an official now than what I used to be. And I'll continue to get better in that space too, because the competitiveness still comes out in you and it's still, you know, your natural reaction. And I'm a venter. So I'm like a verbal processor and it just sometimes comes out and sometimes not pretty. So I'm just glad I haven't swore yet on your, on your podcast. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that. Um, But honestly, I think, I think just watching that management is so much better, but I've also transitioned or trying to transition because you're never going to get there. That's part of the journey is just being able to understand that. Um, but also saying, okay, it's not game management. It's not practice management. It's life. And so when we're in that space, we're so much better. I'm so much better in crunch time of a basketball game than I am when I try to get out of the house in the morning with my kids and you're trying to do all these things. And I find when I'm in that kind of that kind of when I actually am intentional about taking a breath and getting into that space, the mornings are so much easier. But when I'm always on the go and trying to go, 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 I suck. <laughs> you know, I do. I do. And I can get that way in basketball. I can get that way at home. Um, but it's also a really fun part of the process to be able to see how how far that I've come and yet, you know, you get to that point where you feel like, oh my gosh, I mean, think about like how far you've come in the last couple of years. I mean, think about that. And it's like, you get there and then it's like this whole new galaxy. And all of a sudden you realize like, oh my God, there's way more to it. You know, you break through this whole world you think that you know, and it's a whole new world that shows up. And then once you get to that edge, it's a whole new world that shows up. And like, to me, um, that's been really fun. So one of my favorite questions to ask yeah. coaches, and I know you don't want to give parenting advice, but maybe coaching advice mm-hmm. to parents. Mm. Um, I'm not coaching yet. I don't mm-hmm. know if I will. I haven't like made that. I've mm-hmm. left it open. But for mom or dad mm-hmm. coaching five to mm-hmm. really high school, mm-hmm. I mean, probably even like sophomore, right? Mm-hmm. What advice do you have? What's the most important thing that they need to sort of come into that space, come into that practice, come into that game for those for those kids? What mm-hmm. is that advice? Well, when you're a coach, be a coach. When you're a parent, be a parent. Uh, my son had this because I, you know, I try to really control my nonverbals when I would go to his, I mean, and again, my son's seven now. So this is a, you know, this is last year and he's six. And you know, I I try just not to say anything because I'm like, that will be so much better if you just don't say anything, you know, just stay kind of stoic because I mean, let's face it. Most of the people on his teams, they're looking at me 
to see how I'm going to respond to things and what I'm going to do. Okay. And if they don't, I feel like they are. And so that's my own ego. So poke holes in it, whatever you want. But that's what people, you know, that's what I feel like happens. And so I just was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything, you know, just show up. And, um, my son after the game said to me, he's like, you don't even cheer at my games. And it hit me really hard because I was like, you're right. I've totally, I'm not, I'm not separating. I'm in my coach mode and I'm, and I'm your parent. And so now I cheer for everybody. I just cheer. I don't know all their names and most of the time, and I'm not very good at that. Um, I'm getting better because you start to know people as they get a little bit older. Uh, but I cheer for their teams. I just cheer constantly because I want them to love sport. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's football. I don't care if it's soccer. I don't care what we're doing. I want them to just love what they're doing. And so if that's something that's part of me, I want my kids to love what they're doing. And so I'm just going to cheer. What you find is, you know, you already see kids, you know, cheer for parents, cheer for their kid, or they're coaching their kid and in how to swing a bat or how to, you know, do whatever. And now they cheer for their kid and my kid, you know, because I'm just constantly cheering. But think about that. Think about if we just, as parents, just cheered for our kids, just be a parent, just cheer for your kid. When you're off, when the game's over, by all means, if you have expertise in, in a sport, give them a little bit. Right? Right. Have a conversation. I, like that part, I don't have any judgment in any of that because I don't know. Everybody's different. So I don't have a, we're overcoaching our kids. But you do notice that they're going to get burned out and they've got to love sport. I mean, sport is like, to me, it's teamwork. It's being able to put yourself out there and be vulnerable at a young age. It's 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 just to learn something that's different and and we're going to ruin that. We've got to do a great job as parents and as coaches to make them love what they do. And I feel the same way about coaching my team. Uh, My expectation for our players is that they give back to this game when they get done. I would love, I think that the biggest compliment you can have is that they want to stay in the game and they want to coach. You know, I've got two former players that are coaching sixth grade basketball for Dowling right now. And I think that's, I mean, how cool is that? How cool is that? Yeah. I mean, there's no women coaching, and that's a really big deal to me is to have women coaching. I, I don't care. My sister coaches my nephews. You know, we'd had this conversation a few years ago, and, and she's like, well, you know, they, they didn't have enough coaches and, you know, this and the other thing. I said, then you coach them. And she looked at me, and I was like, you need to coach them. And she probably <laughs> wishes I wouldn't have said that, but she was coaching junior high basketball, and she, was, she's, she does a great job. Yeah. Why not? I mean, that's what you want. You want to coach your daughters. You want to coach your son. You want. Why not? If we have expertise in some of these areas or some of these sports, coach them. Keep it simple and coach them. And the biggest thing is that they have fun, and they really learn a little bit about the sport. Yeah. That's the reason. I mean, that's really what this podcast became about was finding a way, uh, really ultimately finding a way to share stories of how people are redefining success mm-hmm. um, and how they're making an impact in their lives and other people's lives. So I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Can we do this again? Maybe I know, right? No, this, this is be, fun. Probably yeah, because be I, I talk too much. So sorry, no. my answers were a little long. <laughs> no, no, this is really but good. I am passionate about this. This was really yeah. cool to be able to do. So thank yeah. you. Thanks. Appreciate it.